we're reading today from the book of Luke, um, from chapter 19, and we're reading from verse 1 to verse 27. So Luke 19, verses 1 to 27. <clears throat> he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and stood, said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten miners and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your miner has made ten miners more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Lord, your miner made ten mi five miners. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your miner, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him and give it to the one who has the ten miners. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten miners. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our most loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we humbly come before you this morning, desiring to know who you are as our God, as the God. Father, to know you through Jesus Christ, your Son, 
is a blessing beyond compare. And Father, your word says that um, the gospel came to us as it, as it came to others, Lord, um, not only in word, but also in power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that that would indeed be our experience. The gospel of Christ would come to us. The power of the word and the Holy Spirit, the full conviction. So we want to seek you, Lord. We want to know you. We want to hear what you have to say so that we would walk in newness of life in accord with your son who was raised from the dead so that we could do that. So, Lord, I pray that as for me, you would cause me to diminish, to step aside and that your voice would be clear, a clarion to us today and that we would indeed Bend the knee, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Morning, Chapel Street. Morning to Chapel Street online, too, and to those that uh, may listen later on the podcast. Uh, we're back in Luke again, of course. We're piling through the chapters now, and it's good to be at the story of Zacchaeus. I really love this story. I love all the stories, it seems, in the Bible, but I love Zacchaeus. One day, I believe, I'm going to meet him. And he won't seem so little to me then, I'm sure. And what a contrast the story of Zacchaeus is to the message we heard last week, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler who had everything and desired to speak to this good teacher, Jesus, because he didn't have eternal life. And he went away sorrowful, and he didn't know who Jesus really was. And this week, we have another rich man who is, in some senses, seeking Jesus, but Jesus is seeking him. And he goes a bit different, doesn't he? He goes away. Well, he doesn't go away. He stays. He receives Jesus with joy, it says. And he becomes saved, and that's genuine uh, repentance. So I'm going to trip through the text quickly to give simple explanation. We don't have a huge amount of time today, um, so let's hope we can get through it a bit quicker, not burn any roasts that are going on at home, um, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to trip through it quickly, and then I want to just drill down into a lot more depth, hopefully, into some aspects of this that we need to apply to our lives. You know, it's easy to come to the Word and to glean things, but sometimes to miss who the Word is about. We can go through an entire gospel and glean lots of great things, but forget that it's really pointing us to Jesus. And so I want to spend a bit of time looking at him in this text today. But let's get our context as ever I want you and I to imagine that you're there, to put yourself in this scene so that you can kind of picture things more clearly. The context is we're in Jericho. The Lord's in his ministry. He's been going around lots of different places. And Jericho, in case you don't know, in terms of where Jerusalem is, is to the north a bit and to the east. And it's an important intersection on the road if you're going to travel east to do any kind of trade with the countries that way. And of course, the countries that travel west go through Jericho, go by Jericho. To be blunt, it's a good place to be a tax collector. I want you to understand that the crowds that are there are not just a few people. 
We learn, don't we, when the Lord goes to the Sea of Galilee, that he feeds 5,000 men, just men, not counting the ladies and the children. There are a lot of people here. Sometimes when you watch a movie about Jesus, it's a couple of hundred. There are actually tens of thousands following this man, the miracle worker. And there he is, walking in the midst of all these people. And we learn that there is this man, Zacchaeus, who is a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, a chief tax collector. Now that phrase or that word is not used elsewhere in scripture. So we don't really know what a chief tax collector is. But the idea I think generally is he's the tax collector who employs tax collectors to do the tax collecting. The tax collectors were despised by the Jews. Why? Well, because they robbed them. They took more than they should take. They themselves were Jewish. The Romans were very smart people. And they thought, mm, we need to collect money from these people, these Israelites. Let's use the Israelites to collect money from them. And so they chose people to do that. And all tax collectors, by and large, became rich and became wealthy because they extorted money. And they took more than they should. And I don't know if there's a kind of pyramid, there's a chief tax collector that when you're at the top of the tree you get more because you've got a whole load of uh, tax collectors working on you but maybe that's the situation they're despised by their countrymen they're seen as betrayers because they work for the romans we know that this tax collector is seeking to see who jesus was that's very important this man who was despised was seeking to see who Jesus was. And we learned that he's pretty small. He's small in stature. And we do come in all shapes and sizes, don't we? That's, that's fine, right? We can, can't do much about that. But this man is small and there's a big crowd, as I've already said. And frankly, he wants to see this man, Jesus, to see who he was. But he's not going to be able to. And he knows that. And he knows, obviously, that the crowd aren't going to let him through because they don't like him. And I love what the scripture says about Zacchaeus. It doesn't say he fought his way through the crowd or he pushed people back and said, get out of the way. He was kind of savvy, canny, as the Scots would say. He ran on ahead. He ran on ahead. He didn't just hang around where the crowd was. He ran on ahead so that he could find a place to see this man, Jesus, to see who he was. Where did he go? <laughs> Up the tree. <laughs> what a smart thing to do. You want to see him and there's lots of crowds and you're short, you need to be above them. So he goes and finds a sycamore tree and he climbs it. And I want you to know that that's odd. <laughs> men generally don't climb trees. Kids tend to climb trees, but men generally don't. Particularly in this era, it's seen as a bit of an odd thing. It's sort of a bit maybe shameful. What are you doing up the tree? It's a bit odd. But he isn't embarrassed. He goes... Apparently, they're quite easy. I think that might be a cedar, but apparently sycamores are quite easy to climb. But we'll test that theory later, Jeff, you and I. And he wants to get high. Yeah, maybe he gets to hang over the crowd a bit more. So he climbs a tree and he's not embarrassed. And something amazing happens, doesn't it? When the throng gets to where he is, when the Lord Jesus gets to where he is, something quite shocking happens. I want you to imagine you're in the tree. Suddenly Jesus stops and he looks up. 
and he calls Zacchaeus' name and said to him, hey, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry down and come, but sorry, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. What an amazing intervention in this scene. I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty inappropriate culturally, generally, to invite yourself to someone else's house. But to invite yourself to someone else's house that they don't know or they don't know you must have seemed a little bit odd. Come on down. Hurry. I must stay at your house today. And we see something of the picture of the sovereignty of God at work. This is all planned. The Lord didn't just walk along and say, I wonder who that is. He knew what was coming. I must stay at your house today. And the people, they grumbled. They murmured against Zacchaeus. And they said, he, referring to Jesus, he is gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. That says a lot about what they think about themselves, doesn't it? It says that they don't think that they're, they're sinners. Or at least perhaps they don't think that they're as bad as a tax man who steals from us. And they're shocked. But it's a very personal interaction there. Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. Hurry. I must stay at your house today. I want you also to note Zacchaeus's response to that. He hurries. <laughs> he does what he's told. He hurries and comes down, and then he does something astounding. He receives Jesus joyfully. Now, I want you to picture that, right? You receive someone, you're standing at your house, right, in this context. Here's my house, Lord. Come on in. I'm just so happy that you want to or must spend time with me today. He receives the Lord Jesus joyfully. Then we don't know what happens. It sort of jumps the story. He's a little bit missing. And obviously the Lord's not wanting us to get that. We can probably conjecture a little around what's happening. But the next part that we hear about is Zacchaeus standing up. Now, the assumption perhaps is that they've had some kind of discourse and some kind of food. And when you stand up amongst your friends, you're going to tell them something, rather like I am now. You're going to tell them something. You're not going to sit down and make a, a casual comment. You're standing to try and get a point across. And it says this, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And I, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What an amazing change of heart. This is a man who stole from people. He defrauded them. He's not standing there saying, look, and if I happen to have maybe at some point defrauded anyone, he defrauded everyone. That's what tax collectors did. What do we see here? Something's changed. Something's changed in his heart. Something's changed in his mind. And in case you don't know this, if you uh, take something, if you steal something from someone, particularly money, biblically in Leviticus, in the law, 
you're to give it back to them plus 20%. Yeah, that's, that's what the law asks. If you steal something, give it back and then make restitution by giving them another a fifth. But here, Zacchaeus doesn't say, oh, they can have their money back and you know, by the law, I'll give them another fifth. He says, I'll give them four times. I'll give them, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I won't just give them back what they had and a little bit more. I'll give them much more because something's changed in me. Something has changed about who this man Jesus is and who I am in his presence. And then we learn what the thing is that's changed. Verse 9 says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. We learn, don't we, that the thing that's happened to this rich chief tax collector is that he has experienced salvation. He has been saved. He has come into a living, saving relationship with Christ. He also says that something odd at the end there. He also is a son of Abraham. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means, in the simplest sense, it means he's a Jew. He's an Israelite. He's a son of Abraham. And that makes sense because that's what he is. But why is he saying that? Well, he's saying it because as a tax collector, he was eschewed. He was outcast. Not one of us because you are a betrayer. The Lord's saying actually he is. But he's saying more than that. He's saying he's actually a true son of Abraham, a true believer in God, an authentic believer. And so if he was despised by the people, note, he's no longer despised by God. He's accepted by God. He's forgiven by God. And then, like us, he becomes a member of the household of God. He also is a son of Abraham. I want you to think this event through very, very deeply. I want you to reflect on it carefully. Think about it in simple terms. We've got a rich chief tax collector despised by the people. He wants to see Jesus. He goes to great lengths to see him. And in the midst of that, Jesus seeks him out personally. And Zacchaeus' response is this despised man has been sought out for God, by God, hurries down, receives him joyfully as Lord, receives salvation and joins the real family of God, becomes a true believer in Jesus. We know this because the evidence of his repentance is that he makes amends. He makes restitution. And what a picture of opulent giving, of overflowing, get four times. He's repentant. So we see some evidence of a heart that is genuinely changed. And I guess, really, we see evidence of a man who now loves God first. And so he loves his neighbor. See how this echoes in the opposite way to the rich young ruler who was challenged about whether he really loved God. And it, it was determined, wasn't it, that he loved money more? Well, here, Zacchaeus is the opposite. He was rich, very rich. 
now loves God. And there's the evidence. He gives. He gives in loving. And that's the simple rendering or reading of this text. But I want us to dig deeper in the time we have. I want us just to look at three things in this text as a kind of application for us and an understanding for us in our walk with Christ. And the first is this. God comes to seek. Did you see it? God comes to seek and to save the lost. Well, that seems obvious. That's what the Lord says. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, fine, Sam. Great. We know that. Think about that carefully. God comes to seek and save the lost. What other religion do you have that has that? God comes. I'll come. It's me. I'll come to seek and to save you, Sam. He's a seeking God. He wants to find. The Bible is literally full of this picture of God seeking his people. It's everywhere. It's hard to know what passages to bring. I often return to Ezekiel, um, where the Israelites are in exile, taken away from their homeland. Ezekiel, the prophet, is very confusing whether he's in, in, uh, in Jerusalem or he's in the exile. Prophecy is very profound. But at one point, the Lord speaks to, through him because the shepherds, the leaders of Israel, are no longer shepherding the sheep. They've kind of given up on them. So the Lord says this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Listen, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the stray. And he talks about how he's going to heal them and look after them. Think of God seeking Samuel. Samuel didn't even know it was God for a while. He sought him out and made him a prophet. He sought every prophet. He sought most of the kings. He sought Adam, didn't he, in the garden. We hear the first confession of sin. He's a seeking God. And we learn here that it's his mission. Jesus' mission is bigger than this. We know that ultimately it's for the glory of God. He's part of it. He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come just to give us great things to say or learn or know. Hey, let me tell you what God is like. And then he disappears. He came for a people to make a people his own possession, as Peter tells us. The good news is that he doesn't fail. His seeking God doesn't get it wrong. Some weeks ago, we um, learned about the parable of the lost sheep. One of the things we noted from it is that the shepherd who goes looking for the sheep that is lost keeps looking. He persists in looking until he finds that sheep. And God doesn't say, oh, I can't really find Sam. He's not really listening. I'll give up on him. Keeps seeking. And then when he finds it, that text says, rejoice with me. For I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The question there is, how far did God come to seek? How far did he need to come to seek you? And the answer is obvious, isn't it? 
beyond the universe, beyond this space-time continuum. It's hard to get your head around how big the universe is, but he came from the other side of that. And the other question then is, well, if that's how far he came, how far did he go? When he entered his creation, the incarnation, as a child born in human likeness, fully man and fully God, how far did he go to seek and save the lost? And of course, the answer is all the way. He couldn't go any further because he went to death. He went to the cross. I want to say this next thing very carefully for the benefit of younger years. You know, there's often stories you read about or hear about uh, where parents have, if I can put it this way, mislaid their children. The children have been taken. And you hear stories of them seeking their children for decades. And sometimes you hear that story of reunion after many decades. I heard one recently. It was 40 years from a small child. And the thing you always hear in those stories is the parents saying, we never lost hope. We never gave up. We kept on seeking for our child. And sometimes, sadly, they're not reunited. And the parents go to the grave without finding those that they've lost. And I want to say to you today that Jesus Christ went to the grave to pay the debt so that he would find the lost. And I think that's what Zacchaeus gets somehow. We don't know what they said, but I think that's what he gets. Christ did go to the grave. He was crucified for the sin of the world. He was raised from the dead. And he sought you and he sought me. You might say, well, how does he do that now? Well, it's simple. How does God seek you? You might ask about experiences. There are some churches that depend on experience. It's very dubious. You've got to be very careful of that. I'm not saying that the Spirit of God doesn't prompt us or prick our conscience. Some experiences don't draw people to God. Floods. The death of national famous people. Sometimes wars. Without Christians there, pandemics. You see mass revival anywhere? We need to be careful about that. What I want to say then, well, how does God seek us? Well, he seeks us through his spirit, through the word of God. He seeks us through the gospel. And if that's true, I believe it is, it means he seeks people through us get that you're a seeker aren't you you're looking for people that don't know christ because isn't this good news you want to tell them about zacchaeus you want to tell them about jesus christ seeks people through you you go out there and you want to share the word of god why do we evangelize well that's how god seeks people now i know conversion can happen in other ways but by and large this is it the word of god so that's the first thing. God is a seeker. Are you glad he's a seeker? I am. But the second thing is, 
we need to be a seeker too. We need to seek God too. You know, recently I had a conversation with my mum back in the UK and as usual, I was trying to share something of the grace of God, something of the gospel. And in a way, I feel for my mother because she gets this from me more or less every week when I phone her. And I think she got something of this God who seeks people because she said this, and it was kind of devastating in a way. She said, so why has your God not saved me then? Why hasn't he saved me? If he saved you, what about me? Why isn't this Jesus, who you say died on a cross for the sin of the world, why hasn't he called me? Why hasn't he saved me? And I find that a, a fair question. My answer is quite simple. Because you don't want to seek him. You don't want to know him. You just want him to fix everything for you. You don't want to have a personal relationship with this God. She's like the rich young ruler, really without the youth and the wealth and the power? It's a fair question, but we need to kind of get into it, don't we? Jesus loves you for sharing the gospel, then surely we should encourage someone to come and invest, or at least to invite them to see who Jesus is. You might say, well, how does he do that? Well, let me tell you very, very, very quickly about me. I wasn't seeking for God. In fact, I was just seeking for pleasure. And I was getting it. I didn't want to know about God. I didn't want to find him. Didn't even believe he was there. And one day someone came and they shared the central message of Christianity, which I didn't know. No one had ever told me it before. It was all about Jesus. I didn't become a Christian at that. But I tell you what, I started seeking. That was God's grace too, right? That was God working in me. I started seeking. Where do you think I went? I went to the word of God. I went to church. I went to a Bible study. I got involved. I started to seek. And this man, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. So God is a seeker for us, but we do need to seek him. And listen, not just for salvation. We need to seek Jesus every day, don't we? Every day. And how do you do that? Same way that God seeks. Reading the word, coming to church, going to a Bible study, prayer. Pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, some people say that non-Christians shouldn't be invited to Bible studies. They shouldn't come to Bible studies. And it's fair. I mean, you know, there are some Bible studies maybe in a very complex book like Daniel or Revelation or Ezekiel, for example, that would perhaps be a bit blinding. What are you talking about? Think about it for a second. If you've got a, a Bible study that's going in the gospel, why wouldn't you invite a non-Christian to it? I mean, aren't we trying to get the word of God and the gospel out there to people? What are we going to do when someone turns up at the house? I'm so sorry, you can't come to this because you're not a Christian. They, they could sit with you and read the word of God, couldn't they? I mean, it's ridiculous to discount a non-Christian from a Bible study. It's just a personal point, but it's one I want you to think about. So God is a seeker. He's a seeker. He's not passive. And you need to be a seeker, not passive. 
My last point is this. Verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus is saved. Zacchaeus is born again, regenerated, renewed, has a new life in Christ. And we can see that because his old life has changed instantly, it seems. We don't know, as I said earlier, what the conversation was. And I wish I had, we had access to that, don't you? I wish I knew, but the Lord has not put it in. That's okay. But I tell you this, I know it was at least about a few basic things. One was sin. That he, Zacchaeus, robbed people, defrauded people. He's offended God, a holy God. I know that he would have explained that through the Son of Man there is salvation. Somehow, by God's grace, this man who sought to see who Jesus was, was saved. Salvation came to his house. How? Because Jesus came to his house. That's how he got saved. This little man hadn't climbed up in the tree and wanted to know who Jesus was. And Jesus hadn't said, we need to come down right now. I must come to your house because you're going to get saved. That hadn't happened. He wouldn't have heard about Jesus. When you enter a house, you've the gift of God in you. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Hopefully the word of God dwells in you richly. Are you going to withhold the gospel from people? Bring Jesus, as it were, into people's houses. That's how he got saved. Jesus went to his house. The Apostle Peter in Acts says, and I love this little this quote, he says, salvation is found in no one else, referring to Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which, listen, you must be saved. Sounds just like Jesus. I must come into your house, right? Because salvation's coming to your house because it's me, Jesus, I'm coming to your house. There's no other name. You can't get saved by good works or anything else. Only by Jesus. Only by the gospel. And I want to say to you today, as we move towards the end of this message, today, salvation has come to this house. Every day we meet here, salvation has come to this house. Because the gospel is proclaimed. Jesus, as it were, is in this house by his spirit. And to you online, and to you that don't know Christ, that might be listening elsewhere, I want you to listen carefully. Because Jesus' gospel is for you. Because God is seeking you. Are you going to seek him in response? I said earlier that this seeking business is not just for non-Christians, it's for Christians. So if you think you're a Christian, then you need to listen too. This is how Jesus calls people. He helps people to know that he is actually the creator, the one that spoke in the beginning and the world came to be powerful, almighty, that he is holy and pure and utterly blameless, that he defines what truth is, he defines what the law is, he defines what goodness is. In doing so, evil is defined when you think about it. 
And in that mix, mankind tried in their own way to get back to God, to be good enough, to do good works, to please him, to appease him, to do anything that would somehow pay for this problem of sin because mankind had rebelled against God. We hear it, it's the gospel. It didn't work, did it? It's got worse. Does anyone think the world is really getting better? Anyone? It's getting worse. So it's been from Adam. But Christ Jesus, the son of the living God, came into the world to seek and save the lost. And how did he do it? Well, he said to his father in a manner of speaking, Father, let's not cause the sin of Sam or the sin of you to end in death. Let's pay the price. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, why don't I die in Sam's place? Why don't I die in your place? I'll take the penalty. I'll pay the price. You can judge me, Father. Father says, yeah, let's do that. It'll show how amazing God is, and it does. That's the gospel. Christ died for the sin of the world. We, we celebrated it again this morning at communion, didn't we? That's what that is, a reminder of that. Seeking Christ again in the communion. At the end of that time on the cross, Jesus says it's finished. It's done. It's complete. It's fulfilled. The payment has been exacted. The judgment of the Father on the Son on the cross for the sin of the world has been done. The payment was enough. The Son of the living God. God himself paid the price. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And that is why he came to seek and to save the lost. And if you, like Zacchaeus, put your hope in Christ, if you, like Zacchaeus, trust this beautiful man, Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, if you follow him, if you change your life for his glory, if you love him first and your neighbor as yourself second, then you too will have what Zacchaeus has and what the rich young ruler didn't have. So I want to remind you today, if you're a Christian, your sins have been forgiven. Amen? Your sins have been forgiven. Just think about that for a second. I'm in the family of God. Jesus Christ died for me. He died for you. He rose again for me. He rose again for you. He rose again for the glory of the Father. And he reigns now for me. He's sovereign over this whole world. And he's interceding for me. And he pleads for me by his blood. Think about that. He's sovereign. Remind yourself. Seek him in that memory. In that remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what it's about. If you're up in the tree, if you don't know who Jesus is, come down, hurry down. Don't delay, don't say, well, you know what, Sam, I'll wait to the end of my life. I've got, I've got a lot of things going on right now. I'm very busy or you know, I'm, I'm doing quite well. You know, now's not the time to come to God. I'll, I'll sort that out later on. Foolish, foolish. Hurry down, hurry down. Don't delay. If you've been sought by God this morning, if you are trying to seek God, then hurry down. 
receive him, believe in him, joyfully, just like Zacchaeus. Call him Lord. Join the real family of God. And I tell you, if you are repentant, there is evidence that you have new life and you love God, then you will be saved. Because Jesus came. He came. God came. To seek, to save the lost. Jesus says, ask, ask, just ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. I'm not going to shut the door to anyone. Everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. I want to close with just a very small excerpt of another psalm. Wondering about how to seek God as a non-Christian. I want to teach you or say to you, you need to learn to cry out. You need to be honest about who you really are. And who he really is. Don't come to God with pride, thinking everyone else is a sinner, just like this crowd. Come to God as Zacchaeus, thinking, I am a sinner. If you are a Christian and things are tough, maybe you're feeling insignificant. Maybe you're being um, ill treated, despised. Maybe you feel rejected. Maybe you feel alone or depressed. Then I want you to learn how to seek God by crying out. Best place to learn about crying out to God, in my opinion, is the Psalms. I've already heard Psalms this morning, similar vein, learning how to cry out to God. And I'll leave you with this. This is written by a man who, in one sense, uh, was an adulterer, in another sense, was a murderer. He was a king. He betrayed God. He didn't go out to battle. He left the ark behind. But he returned. He returned because his heart was after God, because he was seeking God. And he writes this, when there's a bunch of evildoers looking to kill him. Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to meditate in his temple. One thing David is after, I just want to seek God so that one day I will gaze at his face, the beauty of the face of the Lord. And I pray this morning that that's for you. It's for me. I want to seek God. Do you want to seek God? Yeah. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we want to thank you again and praise you. We want to bless your name. We want to speak well of you. We want to sing praises to you because of Jesus. Because you are the God, Lord, who came to seek and to save the lost. You are the God who didn't leave us dead in our transgressions and sins, but made us alive together with Christ because you sought us. Well, forgive us if we ever think that we made all of this happen. Lord, if there be any one of us here today or online or later listening to this 
that does not know you, I pray, Lord, that they would indeed now begin to seek you. They open your word, they go to a church, they go to a Bible study, they desire to know you, Lord, that they would have a personal relationship with you. And Lord, if any of us are really struggling and not able to um, battle on in this hard life, I pray that you would teach us to continue to seek you like David, that one day we too will behold the glory of the God who came and sought us, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.